Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of Breather, Julian Smith, returns to the show to talk about managing uncertainty and constantly doing the best work of our lives. Julian, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So you know, we had you here um, back when we were called Blogcast FM, actually more than once. Mm-hmm. And you know, the reason I wanted to bring you back was just because so much has changed uh, in your life and your journey. So on, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, mm-hmm. your journey, and how that has brought you to where you're at and what you're up to in the world today? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the the long the ten year view of what I do, or the sort of fifty forty, they say fifty thousand foot view of what I do is that I follow trends in technology and then I use those trends to create something interesting and new uh, and or be a part of something interesting and new. And then that usually sort of ends up taking my career to sort of a level it's never been at before. And uh, and so the first real example of this is I was one of the it trend 10 years ago in November 2004, actually uh, almost exactly 10 years ago. Uh, I was one of the first podcasters in the world. And uh, so when that happened, there weren't a lot of shows around. (laughs) So when someone put together a podcast network, a friend of mine, CC Chapman, who I know is a friend of yours too, Mm -hmm. uh, asked me to be one of the six shows, his being one of the shows uh, that was represented by this network. And that like basically liberated me from my first, from my last ever, you know, nine to five job. And so at the age of 24, way ahead of like, just age wise, way ahead of almost all of the people that were, that were in podcasting at the time that ended up being like 30 something, 40 something, 50 something like dudes sitting in a basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I ended up like suddenly being like, well, I don't have a nine to five job. Well, what do I do now? And, and that sort of helped me like get to the next level, next level, next level, next level. And so my most, you know, we can go through that whole thing yeah. uh, if you want to, but yes, my most recent that. project that has led me to where I am now is a, I run a startup called Breather, mm-hmm. uh, which is at breather.com, like take a breather. And uh, we've raised $7.5 million in venture capital funding. And uh, we're in three cities all over the world and it's it's really successful. So Very pretty happy cool. about it. Well, let's do this. There's a couple of things. I do definitely want to go through sort of the step-by-step process of the journey that you just mentioned. Uh, but, you know, one thing I, I, I want to ask you uh, is th- there's actually two things. One is around this ability to spot trends and build things uh, around trends that help keep taking your career to the next level. Do you think that's something that's just inherently built into you? Or do you think that that's something that we can cultivate and we can develop? And if so, how? 
Okay. So uh, I think the answer is both. I'm sure you can become sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's, it's like such a key thing in terms of what I'm doing and what I do in my life that I actually ended up putting in my LinkedIn profile. If you go there, uh, it says I detect patterns. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I really think that it is a skill and I could probably, you know, in a period of this interview, teach you a lot about how to do it. Um, and, but I also think that it's something that I happen to be good at. And I'll be able, hopefully, to be able to sort of dissect one from the other. But I would say that's definitely one of the key things that I have been able to do do in my life that has taken me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, you said, you you know, you could probably teach us us some of it. Can you give us sort of a framework Mm -hmm. for how we might incorporate this into our own lives, into our own projects, and into our own work? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So it's really complex, but let me start with like kind of an analogy that I've used once before. So technology or any trend really is is a series of Jenga blocks that are sort of built on top of each other like a tower. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because I'm reading the Playboy interviews in this book called Moguls, which is all about uh, all of the, I don't know, uh, sort of very successful entrepreneurs of the past 30 years and included an interview with Ted Turner, an interview with uh, Steve Jobs that I'm just finishing right now from 1985 after the, the Macintosh had come out. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm reading through this, and he goes. The interview keeps the interview keeps saying, "But what is a computer for?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, look, if you're in business, uh, a computer is to help you do math better and help you create better, more professional documents." And and he's just he's just going through the most elementary shit you've ever heard in your life. But the interviewer doesn't understand it because it's 1985, so he's trying to explain to uh to playboy magazine i guess that that the future gets built on platforms and technologies and tools such as this one and that he just invented one and that he doesn't know what's going to happen but that this is going to be the center of it the computer and so uh and so things are always being built like that uh benedict evan who's a really famous uh sort of trend analyst and uh, now a venture capitalist for Andreessen Horowitz, which is a venture capital fund. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about the watch and he's talking about the, the, the Apple watch in a way that, uh, that people are saying the same way, like in mobile in 1999 or with pagers or something, everyone was going, but why the fuck do I need a pager? Like, what's the point? Why would I ever do that? People are kind of thinking about the Apple watch in that way right now, even though it's quite sexy and all these things. So uh, you're looking at this thing and going, well, what is this going to really enable? Like, what's different? You could never have predicted by predicting the mobile, by looking at the mobile phone. You can never have predicted Uber, for example. Mm-hmm. But GPS plus screens plus all these issues create this system, which was previously impossible. The the way that we at Breather think about that is we think about uh, the same kind of platform, the same kind of tool that becomes available through physical space, which is like basically created through electronic locks. Mm-hmm. So electronic locks are, is this thing that allows you to open sort of a network of rooms with your phone, which is a very, to us is an incredibly exciting and an incredibly uh, revolutionary thing. And sure enough, like, you know, Playboy and, and Steve Jobs in 1985, uh, the first question and most common question that people get when they hear about this is but they're like, but what would I use these rooms for? And so uh, I think the sort of what I'm trying to express in my convoluted way is uh, 
technology is a series of Jenga blocks that build on top of each other, and each Jenga block is necessary for the next Jenga block to exist, but we can't predict what will happen ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But we always have to be saying, oh, here's this new tool. What does this new tool allow me to do? Over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, so So that's one of the things that you have to be looking at. That's not trends per se, but it is... It is, uh, it's sort of an important building block of trends, which is what is possible today that was not possible before. And then there's other parts of that. I mean, I can keep dissecting this forever, but let me just mm-hmm. give you one more example. There's also the, the same effect occurs societally. Once you have Coke, then, which is the, which is, you know, uh, the positioning of Coke is, it's, you know, about happiness, but uh, the way traditionally what Coke is, is known for is for being uh, the real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they used to say about Coke. They said about Coke for like 50 years, 60 or 70 years. And so when Coke becomes the real thing, then Pepsi can become the choice of a new generation, right? Like the positioning exists in the brain that Pepsi has because of the fact that Coke is the old thing. And so over and over and over again, positioning exists and is created based on previous things in the brain or previous things in the world, the same way that you're placing furniture in a room. And once you place the couch somewhere, well, that allows you to put a table next to it. And now you've got a living room or something. It sounds really basic, but Mm -hmm. those things are, are fundamental to everything that we build every day. And so the people that are coming up with trends or that are working with them are looking at new tools or, or new things in the market and saying, well, how does that enable me to create my thing? Like, for example, I have a friend of mine who's just like obsessed and, and legitimately could do it, uh, obsessed with creating a brand name American sake. And sake is like a Japanese rice wine. Mm-hmm. And there is no real American sake. And so he's convinced that with, with enough enter- and entertainment money and marketing money, he can create a brand the same way that Red Bull is in a category that didn't exist before. And the same way that coconut water is in a category that didn't exist before. And now coconut water is a, like $3 billion industry out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you're in California, so you probably saw this happen before we did. So, yeah. uh, you know, so all these things are like, there are things being built on top of each other. And so now people are saying, oh, well, you need a, a relaxation drink, just like we have a bunch of uppers, which have downers. So things are being built on top of each other over and over and over again. And the way that I generally sort of make decisions is going, what is the least competitive thing to do? What is the newest thing to do where a few, only very few people can follow me? And based on those things, you can probably create like a career or a couple of years of your life where you're going to have a kind of a cool, successful thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a new trend will emerge and then you'll, you'll go on it and do that thing. All right. So a couple more questions. We'll, we'll, I, I want to actually take that back and tie it to the trajectory of your career. But I, I want to talk mm-hmm. about one other thing you said before we get into the trajectory of your career, which is, you know, you found yourself uh, at a certain age without a nine to five job. And, and one of the things mm-hmm. that's always been fascinating to me about you is sort of the mindset uh, that you approach all of this with and, and how you've cultivated that. Uh, because, you know, I mean, when I look at this and when I look at so many people who do this kind of work, I look at the amount of uncertainty that people have to navigate, the amount of self-doubt that people have to overcome, mm-hmm. and, and all the sort of obstacles that are actually internal. And I really want to hear your perspective on this because I feel like you're one of the people that really got this down in a way that I've not seen with a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe that's a thing. 
It's it's interesting because every time that you're doing this thing that we were just talking about a moment ago, you're also navigating this uncertainty of what if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've built up I've, – and actually um, Ben Horowitz, another venture capitalist, I read a lot of venture capital uh, blogs, would say something like, the number one most difficult thing to manage if you're a CEO of a company is to manage your own psychology. And so anyone who is uh, who is you know uh, uh, who wants to become a professional or wants to become someone who's world class at something has to manage that uncertainty or have a handle on it before they're even able to handle all the external uncertainties that come along with that. And so it's really interesting because I actually, I free write every day. And right before this, I was free writing, which I do on my computer about a thousand words a day. Uh-huh. And, uh, and sure enough. And I was like, ah, oh, and I was thinking about Jack Dorsey and, and Steve jobs and square and these kind of, you know, you think about the, the iMac in 1998. And the real reason the iMac happened is because the company was going to collapse. Right. If the company was not at the point where it was going to collapse, he would not have had his back against the wall. And if he didn't have his back against the wall, then he could have made a safer decision. But he didn't have a choice. He's like, well, I have to turn around the entire company. We have like nine days left of money in the bank or something ridiculous. And I'm going to have to – this better be the biggest, most revolutionary thing that we could possibly make. So there's no hedging. And so you have, the, you have to almost like have a sentiment for yourself like I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. If I have nothing to lose, I'm just going to go all the way and create like the most ballsy thing that I can possibly create. It's a really difficult thing to do, but it gets better with practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully as you get older, you don't become risk averse, which I'm concerned about. But I think that's also like just based on what kind of person you are. Maybe you're born more risk tolerant or more risk averse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, first, you know, I have to comment on a thousand words a day routine because uh, I cultivated that because of you and it led me to some pretty stellar places. So uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, to listen to you talk about sort of, you know, back against the wall. And so two more questions come from that. Uh, one is, is the difference between a person who comes out of that whole experience of back against the wall, you know, better off, uh, in a way, you know, sort of like the Steve jobs turnaround. The other mm. question, you know, like what differentiates the person who accomplishes that versus the one who doesn't. And then the other question is that, you know, Sometimes what happens is once you achieve success, strangely, you become more less risk averse or, or more risk averse, if you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Like you, you, you sure. accomplish what you try to and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm, I, you know, now I have something to lose. And I, I only know this from That's speaking right. through experience because, you know, last year it was nothing to lose. It's like, let's put on an event, let's write a book. And then suddenly all these things happen and you feel like you have something mm-hmm. to lose all of a sudden. And I'm wondering yeah. how you don't lose that sort of mindset when you've achieved mm-hmm. what you set out to achieve. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I think it has to do with being like really, not really down on yourself, but being really negative <laughs> um, about your future. Uh, like I had written probably three books mm-hmm. or something, uh, plus a bunch of eBooks, plus like a thousand blog posts in my time before I ran this company. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, what does this future look like? And I, I was like, well, this future looks much this, the same as it does today. And so I was noticing, uh, you know, maybe I, I write a more breakthrough book. Oh, that's, that seemed very difficult because at the time I felt like I had actually done my best work. Like I think the work, the, the flinch, which is the book that I wrote with Seth Godin, uh, 
uh, is like, I don't know that I could do something that's more visceral and better than that mm. right now. So, uh, so that's a part of it where you're like, well, I did this and I've got, you know, you know, 17,000 or whatever days to live. Uh, I better, I better do something better than bigger than this in my life. You don't want to be the guy who's a football high school football star. And then, you know, Napoleon dynamite ends up shooting, uh, playing football with himself in the field because that's like the best part of his life and it's all gone. So it's like constantly trying to recreate sort of this new best life for yourself, whatever that means personally. And, uh, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm drawn towards that. You know, like I don't have a Wikipedia page yet. I want one. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really feel like, like everything over time is erased by, you know, every, everything that you've ever created is erased and only a few things remain after, you know, I don't know, 20, 50, whatever number of years, one of them is a public company that usually sticks around for a while, you know, or at least it's in the history books or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's really actually easy, you know, to get, uh, give happiness to you and the ones you love. I'm not saying I'm a pro at it, you know, but it doesn't require like a billion dollars. It doesn't require a a giant house. It probably requires like, you know, a, a nice dog and and some friends that you can go have dinner with or something right. you know, a couple of times a week. And that's it. So after that, like you might as well just go for it. It's kind of the way that I think about it. Uh, but I've become conscious of the fact that a lot of people have different kinds of risk tolerance. And so the next le- next best thing you can do, other than being the crazy person such as myself, uh, is to be the guy who helps the crazy person. At which point you probably get a lot of upside mm-hmm. without the majority of the risk. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, you know, I'd never thought about it that way before. But uh, you know, I I love that you mentioned sort of a public company being one of those things that stands the test of time. I, I want to go back to something else you said uh, about the flinch and how that was probably some of the best work that you've ever done. You know, and I, I keep thinking, uh, you know, back to Artie being unmistakable. And when I look back, I look at sort of what is the next thing I want to create. I all I think about, I, I always the flinch is always what comes to mind to me. I want to know that even if the book doesn't sell as many copies as the first one, or even if it's not as popular, mm. that I can look at the work and say, yeah, this is substantially better. This is substantially more well-written. And I'm really curious about how you know we do the best work of our lives uh, in yeah. whatever endeavor we decide to, to partake in. Yeah, I think the answer is with your back up against the wall with incredible <laughs> amounts of pressure. Uh, suffering half the time, hmm. uh, and then coming out the other side and said, I died a little in there, <laughs> you know, I, and I, you know, it's weird. Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sort of half French. So like, I'm really cynical about some things or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was sort of made that way. There's this author called Hélène Sizou and she's like, I don't know, one of the best, most famous, uh, well-known, uh, authors in, all of the French language. Mm-hmm. And what she would say is she would say like for any great work to be created, you have to die and, and put that, that piece of your life into it and it goes away forever. And so, uh, whether that's, you know, it's, it's, it, it sounds good metaphorically. Uh, but the other part is, is that not only does it sound good, uh, it also, if you think that way, you're going to say, well, I haven't suffered enough to create greatness or something like that. You know, I'm hoping that's, that, that that's not the case, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but it probably is. And it's weird because uh, 
maybe you have to be the kind of person like, you know, it, you can be chill. And, my, and that's kind of my attitude is like, oh, you can be chill, you know, later, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is maybe a version of that kind of 80s phrase, like I can sleep when I'm dead, but I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I sleep a lot, you know, so when I get my best thinking done. But 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 nonetheless, like I'm like, well, this day is going to go by anyway. I might as well try something crazy and see what happens. You right. Know? And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like I really want to – I wrote a blog post about this a long time ago about scars, right? Like this idea of of like you get you get scars when you get hurt and, and at the end of your life, like you better have a lot of scars. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just come, come into the world. This is like very philosophical and like – I don't know, something. But uh, you can't come out of this world – or leave the world in the same way that you came into it. It means you didn't actually encounter the world if you don't have any scars, probably, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, uh, and so, uh, having this sense of like having a limited lifespan. In my case, it really helps. Like, I, you know, I, I used to have seizures, so I have epilepsy. Uh, my hearing is going away. I have all these other things that are that are reminding me, like. Use your time wisely because you may end up like that guy in the one video by Metallica in mm-hmm. in the bed where you can't hear, can't see, can't you know whatever, and uh, and and it's it's forcing me to use my time well. I don't know that I, you know. I, to tell you the truth, I don't know how other people get motivated, so it's hard for me to to say whether or not that's a good way to get motivated or if that's something that you can do deliberately. You know? Yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, l- let me ask you this. You know, one of the things that has always also interested me about you is is sort of the way you have habits, rituals, uh, you know, consumption patterns, you know, cultural influences. And I'd love for you to talk about some of those things and how they've influenced your entire sort of creative process. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. I'm, uh, I let my dog out in the back. <laughs> okay. And I just want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, the gate is open. Right, come on back, you. Because if he goes out there, he's going to be in the fucking. He's going to be in the street, and that kind of thing's not going to work out. I'm just going to bring him back inside. Okay, goal. <clears throat> so, is the question about cultural influences? Well, um, a combination of all, all three things, you know, I mean, yeah. you've got rituals and habits and routines that I'd love for you to talk about. And then, of sure. course, you know, one of the things that I've seen is, is that you have a lot of influences that other people don't have that influence your mm. creativity. And I'd love mm-hmm. for you to talk about those as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's I uh, I deliberately consume things that other people don't consume so that I can have different ideas than they do, mm-hmm. you know, like uh yeah, maybe, you know, sort of broadly speaking, maybe I see myself, you know, we we're talking about tools and machines before. Right. And maybe I see myself as that where I'm like this vessel and I need to absorb things to create different output than others. Most people create a certain kind of output and it makes uh, it makes it allows them to make certain things. And we know what the majority of those things are, mm-hmm. uh, you know. We see it around us every day, all the time. So if you're going to consume the same things, you're going to become and produce output, which is the same as others. So so for a long time, I really tried hard to consume. And I mean, you know, the sort of simple version of that is the guy that reads all of the self-help books. Right. Uh, which I'm, which, which, you know, in my case back in the day was a good thing. Mm-hmm. It worked. And, uh, and so it... That, yeah, it allows you to become a certain kind of person just by getting more output than others. And so I'm actually surrounded by books uh, right now in my own home, and they're all in rainbow order, which is always nice. And and I can look up and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. It's like like thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And and every, you know, it's in, uh, who's that dude who said, what's that book? It's called... Uh, I hope they serve beer in hell. What's the name of that guy? Uh, Tucker Max. Yeah, Tucker Max. I was at his house one time, mm-hmm. and and the dude is the most well-read. For I, I've never read his book, yeah. but he's the most well-read, like literate, uh, 
thoughtful guy who really, really thinks about everything that he does and really knows what he's doing uh-huh. and and has a lot of philosophical backing to all this stuff. I was with Ryan Holiday as well. I don't know if you know him, but like yep. same, we were together. And and yeah, I think it, I just think it's about like receiving all of this input. Now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to turn myself into Peter, not turn myself into, but have the same inputs as as Peter Thiel has. And that's really, really difficult because he's, you know, he's, he's much smarter and, and better read than I am. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, but you're, you're really a – whatever inputs you get, like that's plus the person you, you were when you were born. Like that's the person you become. So I, I seek out external stimulus that is different than most people. Hmm. You know, I, I love that. I mean, and it's funny because I've thought a lot about sort of the external stimulus that I seek out, you know, as an interviewer, I thought, you know, I should be listening to people that are absolutely the best at what they do. And, and I started thinking, I'm like, you know, really what I should be doing is watching the daily show, watching John Stewart, watching John Oliver, uh, you know, watching Charlie Rose. Cause I mean, those are the best of breed when it comes to this kind of work. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right about that. And, and so, uh, and, uh, there's another version of that, which is that you should watch the worst interviews ever. <laughs> like you should have, you should have an impression of what the negative looks like as well. Right. So you have an impression of negative patterns and positive patterns. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, so, so we've talked about sort of your, your consumption patterns. I mean, what does your day to day look like? I mean, ritual, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the thousand word habit, which I, I definitely have cultivated because of you, but wh- what else? I mean, what are the, what does a day in your life look like typically? Uh, yeah, so so I'm I'm the CEO of a of a, of a small company now that is mm-hmm. growing, and so my day is actually pretty mundane. But to give you an impression of where it comes from, I I'm always like the purpose of the thousand words a day usually is like okay, where is the bottleneck right now, mm-hmm. right? And so I'll seek out whatever that bottleneck is. I don't always have the answer, but I get an impression of what the bottleneck is, and then I'll be like, oh, there's that thing that's really important right now. So my bottleneck right now is hiring. And is hiring ex- other executives to help run the increasing number of people that are in my company, and it's hiring a bunch of people for skill sets uh, because that's what you do when you're a CEO. You delegate over and over and over again until the only thing you have left to do is to think about the future. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that's a really hard thing to do. Just a hire well and consistency in uh, and consistently in a limited pool of talent where people are expensive if they're good and blah, 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 blah. So it's actually like, and so I'll go in and I'll be like, okay, so how do you hire exactly? I've literally never done it before. Like I was flipping out for like two weeks about how to write a job description for an office manager. Okay. Like that's the level of incompetence I'm at. Maybe that doesn't come across in this interview because I know how to use long words or something, but I would just like to clarify that I'm really, really ignorant about a lot of things and and so uh, the only thing is, is that I'm like I was actually telling this to somebody like I have no idea how to do my job right now because I've never done it before. Mm-hmm. But I'll just go out and be like, so how do you do this exactly? And I, you know, I'll get advice from people that have invested money in our company, from other people that have been CEOs before, from you know advisors, from blah 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 blah. And, and from that, I'll develop the structure of how to do that. Uh, but I think like the plain thing around that is even in this sense of uncertainty, which is really great uncertainty like you're talking about, uh, you have to have this confidence about action. You sort of have a, um, a bias for action is what they call it. Mm-hmm. You're like, I don't know. Well, I might as well do something to see. Yeah. And, and, and so I base my entire day on like probably one or two bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are different 
all the time. And then I'm like, how do I liberate this? How do I allow people to be more productive here? How do I, you know, that could be around raising money or it could be around hiring more people or it could be around letting more people do work. But it's really like, you know, I mean, in, in the simplest sense, I have an office job. I, I work way more than nine to five now, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I do it because I feel like I'm building probably the biggest thing that I've ever done and I'll probably ever do ever. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's do this. Let's take a few steps back. I mean, walk us through sort of the trajectory because I know that you know what's what's interesting about you is you know you, you mentioned you started off as one of the first podcasters, then you became this you know wildly popular blogger slash author, and now you know a startup CEO. And I, I'd love for you to sort of walk us through the steps of all of that um, yeah. and, and kind of some of the lessons that have come from each sort of reinvention. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll actually I'll tell you a part of the story that you probably have never heard before. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, so the uh, it, what I what I do is is I'll is I'll launch this thing. It doesn't matter what the thing is, but just think about this pattern, and it'll be like I'll, I'll be at zero experience launching something, and then I'll go out and I'll I'll try that thing, and I'll, I'll you know through I don't I'm not always good I'm not always lucky, and I'm not always it's not always like wildly successful. Sometimes it fails and so on. But it, there's there's a number of examples. Well, I'll be the first at doing something or one of the first at doing something, it'll allow me to get opportunity. I'll take that opportunity. It'll take me to a plateau. I'll sit at that plateau for a while doing this thing, whatever this thing has is. And then I'll see another trend and I'll be like, fuck yeah, that thing. And I'll just do it over and over and over again. And so, uh, so, okay. So the first one is, is that, uh, I, I became a podcaster and I was one of the first podcasts in the world, so it allowed me to liberate myself from my job. And so the first thing is, is I became free. I liberated my hours to do more valuable thing than to earn what was probably at the time like 20 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. something, you know. And, uh, and so liberating your time from your, the money that you earn, even though it actually probably makes you broker the first time, is actually a, a really powerful thing. It's really important. So then you have a machine that helps build something for you. So you get, I did that. But as a consequence of being one of the first podcasters and being one of the first commercial podcasters, uh, they were trying to monetize podcasts and nobody knew how. And one of the things that people did is they gave people coupon codes because coupon codes, as I'm sure that you understand as a podcaster, is one of the only ways that you can refer other people to your service. You know, you if you have a, a – I give you a coupon code for Breather, mm-hmm. and the only way that you can ever – that I, the Breather.com, can ever know that Srini got people to use it is if you refer them. And you can't refer them with a link because it's not on a website. Do you understand how – like it's pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. But course. it's not on a website. And so uh, because of this, a whole a – few, a few people had coupon codes for like the largest registrar in, in the world, which is GoDaddy. And – but there weren't a lot of people, and, and not a lot of them knew what the fuck they were doing. And at the time, uh, I was like, well, wait, like this seems like it could be a thing. And uh, as a consequence of a bit of experimentation, I became probably like the largest coupon code affiliate for GoDaddy in the world. Mm-hmm. And so – and there was a lot of money to be made there, and nobody knew about it. And it was a giant secret, and none of us talked about it at the time. Now it's like eight years ago, so it doesn't matter anymore because that, that experiment is gone. And the people that went on to create the biggest websites about this are now public companies like RetailMeNot.com. They're mm-hmm. huge. They're worth billions of dollars. So I was very early on, and, it, and I would not have been able to get a coupon code or a set of coupon codes, which allowed me to make money 
on the internet without the podcasting. That liberated me even more. And I was like, oh, well, I've got a bunch of money in the, the bank that I have never had access to. So this has, been, this has never happened to me before. Like, what will this allow me to do? So then I thought, okay, well, great. Well, I need to, I'm not going to stay becoming like hustling, you know, domain names on the internet forever. So I, I thought, well, I know how to write now. I've written, a, I've, been, I've been writing a blog for a while and we'd been going to conferences because I knew for sure that in order to get people to talk about my show, uh, they would have to know me. And I lived in Canada, so I couldn't let that happen. I would, so it was like I would go to every conference. And so I met all of these sort of internet famous people in the early days of Web, web 2.0. And one of them was Chris Brogan, who ended up becoming my co-author. We started doing conferences together for free, and we started writing ebooks. And one of those ebooks became the, the uh, world's first social media marketing book, in, published in 2009. And it was an instant New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm one of the first sort of blog to book authors. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I did that and that allowed me to sort of liberate a bunch of speaking engagements. And then I ha now I have all these, this, and it's, the social web is really what allowed us to be pros at this. So we were among, literally among the first people in the social web ever. So we developed a huge audience, which is what allowed us to get to a New York times bestselling book in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so as a consequence, now I'm able to connect with really strong authors. So I connect with Seth Godin and we use Amazon to, to create a free book. So now I have this book, right? And actually is one of the most, one of the only perpetually free books on Amazon. So if you go on Amazon now, uh, there are no, uh, free books that are free forever. The most you can, if you're an author, you know mm -hmm. this, you can only make your book free for like 90 days. And so because of a deal that we got together, at that time, which is only available at that time, we made the book free forever. And uh, there's only, you know, I think Flinch might actually be the only free book available on Amazon, period, forever, aside from like the Bible. And so uh, that allowed millions, literally millions of people to read the book. It's been read by everyone. I got to work with one of the best business authors in the world, uh, arguably. And, and then I sat on that and I, I wrote a third book as well. And it did well and all these other things. But again, I was kind of on this plateau and I thought, okay, and I'm really interested in this idea of space for a reason I didn't exactly understand, but I knew that as the world would get louder, a bunch of macro trends, I, as the world got louder, as the world, as cities got denser, as a bunch of other things like that happened, uh, people would need private space and private space would become more valuable. And I thought, well, if private space becomes more valuable, then I could create something, an engine for private space. And I've done that. And now I've raised seven and a half million. But it started like as soon as I had created this idea and told people about it, I got a million and a half in funding. I recruited one of the best engineers in the world to be my CTO at the time. And, uh, and now uh, I've built it. And it works in three cities. And, and, and much like Steve Jobs in 1985 in that interview from Playboy that I was telling you about, People, one of the most common questions that people ask me, but it's like, what is this useful for? And I actually think that it's one of the most useful platforms in the world, and that it'll be, become incredibly valuable. Uh, and and as you were telling me before, it's super risky, and I bet like basically my life and my career on it. Hmm. And uh, my impression is is that in the future, having access to be able to, to open a thousand doors from your pocket is an incredibly powerful thing and 
it'll become a platform that is incredibly valuable and useful. So, uh, so over and over and over again, you're seeing sort of like, oh, and that led me to this, which gave me this specific access, and this specific access allowed me to do this new thing, mm-hmm. and this new thing allowed me to open this door. And over and over and over and over again, I think you'll see that in almost everybody, you know, in, in almost anybody who's done anything of significance or whatever. You know, it's interesting because I, I can kind of have, you know, mention a similar pattern. I mean, obviously, you know, ours is more, you know, book to conference to, you know, media company, uh, but mm-hmm. really starting out as just this small little podcast where you plugged in a microphone into a laptop. So I, I definitely get because you're right. I mean, each thing gives you access to the next thing. Uh, because you have a little more money, so you can take bigger risks, and and that's one of the big, most important things I've learned. What I'm, you know, I, I want to start wrapping things up here, but one last sort of thing around this whole period, recognizing when you're at a plateau. Because I mean, this is really one of the big reasons I wanted to have you here, is because I I see that you're very smart at knowing, okay, it's time to move on from this thing. Hmm. How how do I know that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I know that. Uh, to me. Uh, it, it kind of goes back a little bit to like, is this, is this the top? Like, did I, you know, uh, is this, did I create this incredibly valuable thing? Uh, if so, can it exist without me? Mm-hmm. Uh, like with Flinch, it's a book, it's out. It's, you know, people keep, people are talking about it. Even now it's in the top, you know, free books on, or uh, Kindle books on Amazon. And, and, and so I can just walk away from that. You know, it's nice because with a book, you can do that. Uh, and, and, and the other part is, is whether this is challenging or not, or kind of like another version of that is, can someone else do this? Mm-hmm. And no one else probably could. I mean, you know, there are other, you know, there's the war of art. There's a few other books like Flinch that are kind of like that. And, uh, and that I'm sure a lot of people have read as well, but I really felt like that was my version of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I did something that nobody else could do. And so if somebody else can write the book or someone else can do the thing, then I'll probably let somebody else do it. Right. And then I'll work on something where I seem to have an advantage. And the other way is just, well, my God, like this is, it, it really, it, when you're doing it, it really feels like this is what I was born to do. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that requires a certain sort of, uh, I don't know, arrogance or self-confidence or something. But when you hit it, you just know. And then you, for some reason, like like I literally wrote down in my to-do list a place to sit in like May of 2012, which is mm-hmm. two, two, two and a half years ago. And I was like, well, what would I do? What, what is this? I don't know. Well, how would I do this? I have no idea. And I, I wrote in my habits, work on secret projects. And it didn't mean anything at the time because <laughs> uh, I was like, well, what, where is this going? I have no idea. But I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have anything. I just wrote work on secret product. And every day I would just sort of check that off as I would make tiny incremental improvements to it. And, uh, and it, it sort of happens by itself as well because you're on the plateau and then you're waiting for the thing to take off. Mm-hmm. And the thing will just kind of take off by itself and it will become clear over time as long as you pr- work on it a little bit every day or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe to me, one of the biggest lessons here is how long you've stuck with something and, and grit. I remember was Mm. one of the things that you said really separates people who achieve these kinds of things from the ones Mm. who don't, because, you know, we're looking at what we're doing with unmistakable creative. And, you know, I spoke about this recently at a, at an event and I said, you know, it's been half a decade and, 
yet we see this as just the beginning of mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we're doing after half a decade. Yeah, which is great. That's an amazing thing because uh, – and you don't know where – that's the other thing to, to really clarify is you have no idea where it's going to take you. And if you yeah. tried to predict it, you would never would have been able to. Right. You know? Right. Like you would never say, and now we're going to get this amazing show with these un- unbelievable guests and, 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 and people be like, no. And even you will be like, no. And then it will hit you in a way that you would totally never expect and you just have to kind of see that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I know you got to get going here, so I want to wrap with one final question. Uh, you know, and I think coming from you, it'll be really fascinating to hear your answer. What What is it in your mind that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Huh? Uh, oh, Jesus! I think, uh, you know, I don't know. I just feel like if you're working, it's the work. It's actually not about you. Mm-hmm. I used to think that. I used to think it was about me, but it's actually not. It's about like you walk away and then this thing has happened. And then this thing is transformed or your or the environment is transformed by the fact that the person was there. Mm-hmm. So when I uh you know, I've got this I've got this uh this this Lego version of Rockefeller Center uh, by my bed mm. and uh it and, and Rockefeller Center when I go to New York which is often I stop there almost like it's a religious p- pilgrimage and actually we have breather locations right nearby so I stop there too and uh and I I look up at it and it's because John Rockefeller Jr. built that and he was given all of this money by his father he was you know they were by far the the richest men in the world they were like the the uh Bill Gates of their time, they had, they had uh, enduring monopolies in the oil business. And, uh, and, and when I look up at that, I actually don't, I, I think about a guy who, who really could just have been a philanthropist whose job would have been, and that would have been significant enough to like, because they, they, they literally created modern medicine. John Rockefeller Sr., his father was like a quack doctor. And largely in the 1850s when he existed, medicine didn't really exist. It was quack medicine and it was bullshit. So uh, scientific research for medicine was largely bankrolled by John D. Rockefeller Sr. Mm -hmm. And it could not have existed without him and him taking all that money and throwing it in there. And for John Jr., he's sitting on this pile and he goes, what's the most significant thing that I can do with this pile? And, And Rockefeller Center is a part of that legacy it was thought that it would be impossible to build. He almost went bankrupt doing it. No one would had ever built anything like it before. Uh, and on and on and on with these impossibilities. And so when I, when I think about your question, it really makes me think of like, what is this impossible thing that I left a footprint on? And, and, uh, and it could be very small or it could be very large but it's this constant, like, it's this real devotion towards something where, yeah, like it's unmistakable because, because it is so difficult and so enormous, you know, like Tim Cook always says, I was reading, doing a Charlie Rose interview. You should also watch Charlie Rose. He's a very yeah. good interviewer. Uh, and he said, and he always says, only Apple. You know, only Apple could do this. Only Apple. And so you kind of think about that. You think about that about yourself and think, yeah, I'm worthy of this, which is the first part. And the second part is, and so what is, you know, 
only Sweeney or only Julian or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. That's kind of how I think about that question. Well, I love it. Uh, Julian, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, join us and share some of your insights with our listeners here at Unmistakable Creative. It's uh, great to have you back and, and been really fun to kind of watch your continual reinvention. Thank you. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.